Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. on those ominous notes I really love that song on those ominous notes we begin another episode of Ask or Tell Me Anything so let me explain you to you let me explain you to you now let me explain to you how the rules work there are no rules um, but if there were rules they would involve calling well like one rule is you have to call 888-720-WNPR that's 888-720-9677 if you want to be part of the show, if you want to be on the air, you have to call that number. So I technically that's a rule, right? Because if you call other numbers, you will not be on the air. You will not be part of the show. But there are no rules that I can think of beyond that. You are allowed to bring up whatever you choose. Uh, I will attempt to be good company uh, and a good conversation partner with you uh, about it. Um, or you can just ask me something. I don't sound brimming with confidence here. Let me just quickly say something before we get to the first call, which, by the way, is from Eric in Cheshire. Eric. Uh, But before we go to Eric, um, so today's a weird day because uh, we're kind of getting ready for a short week here with Thanksgiving looming ahead. And we had decided that we really wanted to do a show on Wednesday about the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. Uh, so um, we're going to record the entirety of that show right after this show. So there's no way to prepare for an Ask or Tell Me Anything, right? You can't study everything. <laughs> um, but I sort of do kind of get myself into a certain state of mind to do this particular type of episode. So I've been trying to do that. But also, I mean, it requires a lot uh, uh, of time to re- to prepare for something like a Kennedy 60th assassination show. So my mind is very bifurcated right now. It is like the tongue of a Komodo dragon. It is pointing in two different directions. And I will do my best under those circumstances. Uh, But I know you'll help me too. You you won't make things hard for me, will you? Maybe you will. All right. Here, As promised, here is Eric from Cheshire. Uh, You are the first caller, uh, Eric, and you have the floor. Uh, Colin, um, I'm calling about my my deep admiration and respect for Jimmy Carter, uh, whose legacy we should definitely celebrate, uh, and um, uh, especially his emphasis on conserving energy, uh, which he he really walked the walk with, um, uh, and um, I. Actually, I'd heard once on public radio uh, that he would keep uh, the thermostat at the White House down to 62 degrees. And uh, during uh, some kind of gathering at the White House with members of Congress, 
Dan Rossinkowski said to him something to effect um, to the effect, "Mr. President, we won the election. Live it up a little bit." Uh, but but uh, Carter was a real stickler when when it came to to energy conservation, and that's what I respect him uh, most. Well, no, what I respect him most for was actually calling on the American people to conserve energy. And I I don't remember, uh, not in my lifetime, having a president who's ever called on the American people to do any kind of sacrificing for for anything, really. And I, I think Jimmy Carter was uh, the last president who, who had would actually shown that kind of moral fortitude. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're on the right track here. And of course, one of the things you're referring to is the famous, or some people would say infamous, crisis of confidence speech, uh, where he he said, I mean, he basically called out the American public and said, you're not doing enough. Uh, yeah. You're not taking these kinds of problems seriously enough. Um, and interestingly, his poll numbers after that speech, despite what collective memory might tell you, went up. Uh, he criticized his own electorate, and his poll numbers went up. Uh, and I think there was a realization. There were people, anyway, who, who beholding this speech, thought, you know, he's right. <laughs> he's right. We're very self-indulgent. Uh, we don't want to bear the burdens of the future. Uh, we just want to be happy in the present, and maybe somebody needed to say this to, to us. Uh, people talked at the time about how they were going to start bicycling to work and stuff like that. I mean, that was probably kind of a minority of the audience. But I, I think that's fair. I think for the most part, um, presidents don't call for sacrifice. I mean, they, they do call for sacrifice in the sense that they will commit our troops to war, and that often means the ultimate sacrifice. But in terms of just asking the the average person, uh, the average person to give up something, uh, that you know, things will be better if you are a little less indulgent with yourself. I don't think that's a message that politicians believe will track very well. Uh, and and Carter, although obviously he lost in 80, I don't think he necessarily lost for that reason. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for your call. And it's a good thing to say, obviously. Um, at the time of, first of all, I mean, we should say President Carter's alive and well. His wife uh, of many years uh, passed this weekend, Rosalind Carter. Um, I believe President Carter's 99 years old right now, and uh, he's been in hospice care and stuff like that. But um, he is, <laughs> he's immortal so far. I mean, it's amazing. He is, I believe, now the oldest uh, ex-president in history. Um, and he's also had the longest post-presidency of any president in history. And it, it bears saying he, <laughs> he's had an illustrious post-presidency. He's had arguably the best post-presidency, at least in my lifetime. My lifetime goes back to Eisenhower. But um, I mean, just what he's done, what he's the kind of example that he has set uh, is really, really remarkable. Uh, and just all the Habitat for Humanity stuff and, you know, just kind of walking the walk. Um, I know there are people who still don't like him, but um, those people, I don't know. Take take a longer view, people. All right, here's uh, Nick in Enfield. 
then we have Richard from Hartford. We need some we need some women callers uh, here because just you know for equality. Eight 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 seven two zero WNPR eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. Here is Nick in Enfield. Hi, Nick. Hey, Colin. So, um, I, I was I don't I don't know if it was your show or if it was another show in WNPR, but on Friday there was a show. Um, talking about uh, the bill or, or to, to phase out um, the sale of uh, gasoline cars by 2035, um, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I'm totally for that. Um, but I don't know much about electric cars. I don't know how much it costs to charge up an electric car. And um, with Connecticut having such high electric costs and delivery fees, I don't know what, burden this is going to be, I guess you can say, for the people of Connecticut. Yeah, well, so yeah, just to sort of um, contextualize this, and by the way, I don't hold myself out as an expert on electric cars, but uh, the way that I understand this, um, our, our regulations are tied to the so-called West Coast standard. So this isn't even really a law that comes out uh, of uh, specifically of our legislature the way I understand it. Uh, we basically tie any updates to our standards to uh, the, the so-called West Coast standards, uh, and that would mean a phased-in ban on the sale of new gas-powered vehicles starting, as you say, in 2035. Um, and just once again, to just to contextualize this, it wouldn't stop you for, for example, buying a used car, a late model used yeah. car. <laughs> I mean, if, if people want to get gas cars, they can get them. Uh, it's not going to be like prohibition. Um, so, so we'll start there. Um, I, you know, I find it hard to believe that the cost of uh, of charging a, an electric car is anything close to the cost of buying enough gas to comparably power it. Um, as I say, I'm not an expert, but I, I just would be very difficult for me to believe that. I think ultimately, in terms of carbon standards, in terms of impact on climate change, the sooner we can convert away from uh, from any kind of – I mean, the, I'll put it a different way. The sooner we can convert towards solar chargers um, or renewable energy chargers – uh, the better off we're going to be and, and the cleaner this is going to be. And there's all, still always going to be all kinds of attendant problems with the creation of the necessary batteries and stuff like that. But, um, I, I, you know, I, once again, I can't just sit here and off the top of my head yeah. promise you this, but it just it seems counterintuitive to me that it would cost more to charge a car, uh, an electric car, than it would, does to fill up the tank for, you know, an equivalent number of miles. Yeah, I'll be the first to say I didn't do my research, so I don't know. You know, what you get per mile per, I don't know, we'll say kilowatt. So I really don't know. Maybe one of the the listeners knows. Maybe they have an electric car and they can educate me. But, um, you know, it it was during the interview, nobody really asked, you know, is there any bills uh, when it comes to the price of electricity in Connecticut? And if all the cars that are going to be sold in 2035 are now going to be electric, it would be nice to know that we have a plan for what's going to happen when everybody needs, you know, electricity for these cars. Yeah. I mean, I think I I would assume, I mean, obviously government can make mistakes and be short-sighted and stuff like that. It just seems unlikely to me that we are, if we're going to stick to this particular plan right now, it seems unlikely to me that we're not going to proliferate, you know, a good number of public charging stations. Um, I mean, for me, I, I hope by 2035, if I'm still alive, 
that you know the parking lots I drive by now will actually have solar panels over them. <laughs> that yeah. I, I see parking lots. I drive by Bishop's Corner in West Hartford all the time, and I just look at these parking lots and I think, you know, if they were covered with solar panels, first of all, your car wouldn't get snow on it and stuff like that. Your car wouldn't get as hot uh, as it does sitting out in the sun, and this space could be collecting solar energy right now, and would be a very easy thing from there uh, to make the 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 charging stations available. I mean, you'd have so much more power than that. Uh, So I hope we're doing even more by 2035 than just making sure there's enough charging stations, Nick. But thanks for your call. We're just going to keep going along here, seeing what happens. Here's Richard in Hartford. Hi, Richard. You're on the air. Oh, good good afternoon, Colin. Hey, listen, we all hope that you'll be alive in 2035. (laughs) Nobody hopes it more fervently than I do. <laughs> so, looking forward to your uh, show on Wednesday about Kennedy. I'm old enough to remember when it happened. So, uh, and there's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, in the media about that, um, on particularly on television. But I wanted to uh, talk to you about uh, the presentation last week at the Kate with uh, Ileana Douglas. I thought it was re- very entertaining. I thought it was really well done. And um, it, I found it interesting that there was a, a, a movie filmed in West Haven that isn't mentioned in the book. So I'm assuming uh, she'll probably come out with a second edition that's, that adds new movies that are being filmed now. Would that be a safe assumption? I, I don't know if it's a safe assumption or not, just to sort of help people out with this. So Ileana Douglas is a, a movie actor. Uh, she um, was she came, came from Connecticut originally, was living out on the West Coast in the middle of a pandemic, and decided she would just move back to Connecticut, partly because she'd become very interested in the idea of the way Connecticut is depicted in the movies, the way Connecticut is used as a location uh, in movies. And she wrote, I mean, obviously she's now at this point kind of uh, – we're kind of buddies, and 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 she's the official movie star of the Colin McEnroe show. But I think I could even set all those prejudices aside and say I, the book is really great. I think it's a, if you like movies at all and you're kind of interested in Connecticut, it's just immensely readable, and it it'll it's a it's a must for for holiday giving, uh, and it makes you want to watch certain movies you haven't seen. I've now got a list of the movies. The movie that you're talking about is called Another Earth. It was made by Britt Marling. Uh, it is um, largely set in West Haven. Uh, Britt Marling, by the way, has continued to do things, including the OA, and the series called the OA. And right now she has something called Murder at the End of the World, which is set in Iceland uh, uh, and not in West Haven at all. But um, so I don't know what I mean, Ileana is very upfront in the book about the fact that she couldn't possibly write about every single movie that is either set in Connecticut or made in Connecticut. I mean, there's just too many. And she wanted right. to really spend some time. The The book is nicely done in terms of the, just the narratives she sets up. And she does track down people who, you know, whether it's an actor, you know, well-known movie star like Connie Stevens, who's in Parrish, or some guy who owned a tailor shop that got used in some De Niro movie or something. Uh, she just, so there's a lot of work there, too. It would have been the, the movie, the book would be like 800 pages uh, if she'd done all that. So maybe she'll do another one. Um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. But um, the thing that I hope about this, as long as we're talking about this, one of the like I, I know Ileana reasonably well just from her being on the show a lot. But um, I hadn't really heard her talk as passionately as passionately, passionately as she did on Wednesday night about just kind of the way culture uplifts the spirit of people and the way that culture that's tied to a particular sense of place 
um, starts to enrich that sense of place. And and she really just made a big, a really good case for also just the value of states having you know offices of movie and television development where there's tax incentives and stuff like that. Um, I thought, you know, I, I sort of wish Ned Lamont were sitting here watching this presentation. Not to say that we're not we're not doing anything. Like that in Connecticut now, but it, it was a real good pep talk. I, I thought about that kind of thing, Richard. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I I really hope that that book helps promote um, you know the Office of Mu- of uh, Film and Television in Connecticut for more tax breaks for these production companies. I mean, um, you know, the Peach uh, State there, Georgia, is mm. kind of superseding us as far as that goes. A lot of things. The Walking Dead was filmed there. There's a lot of lot of things coming out of Georgia. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, Walking Dead, Georgia, it's going to be a good fit. Um, <laughs> Walking Dead in Connecticut, you know, the zombies would be just... You know, getting itchy from all the tweed stuff that the tweed jackets they're wearing and stuff like that. I just, uh, yeah, but you're, but you're right, you're right. Georgia has been very aggressive about this and, and very yeah. good at creating an attractive environment. Uh, and and yeah, other other I states, want, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask her where was um, best of show film because it didn't say that in the book, and I, I thought that was very curious that it, it, it's mentioned, but. Do you know where it was filmed, or or is there just some kind of obtuse Connecticut connection with the film? I don't know, and I don't know what the connection would be. The Best in Show, the Christopher Guest movie, the sort of um, docu-comedy about dog shows. I I don't know the answer to that. But Richard, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Grateful that you called. Uh, And our number. We still we have not had our first woman caller. And Lily Tyson is screening calls today and producing the show, and she's going to be upset. You know, nothing nothing against you dudes. We love you dudes, too, but she'll be upset if women don't call. So 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. They're both the same thing. Um, here we go. You know, if I'm going to get calls about things like that, it makes me think I need to get out more and do more things. All right, here's Martin in Mansfield. Oh, oh maybe we don't have Martin in Mansfield. It's too bad because he had kind of an interesting idea here, too. All right, so we're going to put him away for a second. Maybe he'll call back. Here's Brian in Sim. Oh, what's happening here? Brian, are you there? No, <laughs> what is happening? Help! The phone is making strange noises. Okay, I'm going to go back to Martin and see if the same thing happens because that'll tell us something. Hello, Martin, are you there? No, nobody's there. All right. So what I'm going to do then is um, step back for a second, say the number, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. We're going to take a break in just a second here. But um, I want to tell you, I think I might have mentioned it already. You're going to be hearing a lot about it. It's very exciting. When, when the holidays are over, when this week is over, Starting on, I guess, Monday the 27th. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but that seems right. On Monday the 27th, we will be doing a very unusual week of linked together shows. Um, It's called Astronauty Week. Uh, It will be about – I mean the the connective tissue here will be um, life in other parts of the universe – but we're going to look at it a lot of different ways, and we've sort of built up a pretty good reservoir uh, of um, people who are good at talking about this. And some of them are astronomers, and some of them are kind of people who look at almost anthropological, religious, and folk- folkloric qualities into all this and everything in between. So um, we're very excited about this. Um, I, I guess we're doing – I think we're doing five shows. 
<laughs> All I know is there's a lot of books. I have a lot of books to read for Astronauty Week. All right, we're going to make one more chin, more stab at talking to Brian because that'll tell us whether the phones are working or not. Brian from Simsbury, are you there? I am. Good yeah. afternoon. Good afternoon to you. I have one question for you. I moved here a year ago to Simsbury, Connecticut, and I'd like to know what the scuttlebutt is about Simsbury. Nobody's talking up here. <laughs> Shouldn't you have asked this question before you bought a house in Simsbury? Um, yes. I should. Well, I'm renting, so I, I, I have an out. <laughs> right. Well, first of all, let me tell you, it's almost almost everybody in the town is an android. Um, <laughs> and they're almost, you no. Know, that should have been disclosed. I think they should be better about that. It's a Stepford kind of thing, you know, uh, where they're doing kind of an experiment, having androids live communally, but also cheek to jowl with people. Um, so, I mean, that might explain. No, I, I actually, I think Simsbury is a very nice place. I mean, it's not without its its foibles. Um, I, I think one thing that they've done reasonably well is preserve the semblance of a semi-walkable downtown there on Hot Meadow Street uh, and, and the way that Iron Horse Boulevard or whatever the hell it's called kind of runs behind it and everything. And, you know, you can get out of your car and walk over to the library or, you know, get an ice cream cone or whatever it is people do. Um and it's, uh, from what I can tell, increasingly blue politically. Um, the Farming Valley is really interesting. It used to be a much more of a mix. Uh, interesting. And uh, it was purple trending towards red uh, in places like Avon and I think to a certain degree Simsbury. Although Simsbury, you know, they had Mary Glassman as first selectman for a really long time. So, I mean, they've always had a you know, reasonably strong Democratic presence. I think it's bluer than it used to be. It was very blue this past the past two cycles, um, which is kind of surprising because I think initially the Farmington Valley suburbs developed as places where people of, you know, relative affluence moved. They could have big houses and one, mm-hmm. two, three mm-hmm. acre lots. That tends to attract a lot of Republicans. But I just it's not the way that it's been. Um, I would say uh, in the coming election, Johanna Hayes will be very heavily reliant uh, on those leafy Farmington Valley suburbs, plus West Hartford, plus all that kind of stuff. I don't know what what are, what are I, I I'm not a big expert on Simsbury, but um, <laughs> I can pretend what? I am. Is there anything else specifically you'd like to go? No, go uh, go have dinner at Metro Beast, my friend Chris Prosperi's <laughs> restaurant. I'll do that. I will do that. Um, I, I just I, I want to drill down just a little bit. You mentioned the foibles. Of Simsbury, could you just elucidate on two of those? Hmm. Any two you choose. Jeez, I have to think about this. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, well, okay. I'll do this at the risk of uh, of stirring up a hornet's nest. Um, Good. I, I think the foibles of Simsbury are the foibles of of a lot of. Greater Hartford area towns, and they're probably a little bit worse in places like Simsbury and Avon, in the sense that people move there not to be part of a Greater Hartford community, uh, but to be in Simsbury. <laughs> in other words, uh, and, and that's a problem. Hartford is, if you're new to the area, Hartford's the capital city of Connecticut, uh, and it's 16 or so square miles. Uh, which is tiny. Uh, Simsbury is much bigger physically placed than that. Uh, And Hartford is strangling by the fact that it's almost become this kind of, you know, it's like a, a... a wildlife preserve, except it's for people who are in poverty an awful lot of the time. Uh, And so it's dependent on the people in the perimeter towns 
particularly the more affluent perimeter towns, taking a real interest uh, in, in, in that. And I, I think there are a lot of obstacles to that, just in generally speaking. And I don't, I mean, the old commuter patterns are kind of gone anyway. Fewer and fewer people drive into the city, uh, you know, in the morning. And the, even before the pandemic, there was a kind of decentralization uh, development moving out to edge cities and industrial parks and stuff like that. So increasingly, the in Connecticut, you'd have somebody, you'd have a young, young couple trying to buy their first house. Uh, they wouldn't be able to afford anything that they wanted, uh-huh. and they'd wind up buying a place like in East Windsor, and then one of them wouldn't have a job uh, in an industrial <laughs> park in Farmington, and the other one would have a job you know, out in Manchester or something. And it's just the amount of driving in no particular direction. And then when that happens, you also can't, if you wa- even if you want to, develop mass, mass transit because everybody's going right. some right. different freaking place. So, and, and I think with Simsbury and Avon, there's another problem, which is that the geographical boundaries, the geological boundaries are mm-hmm. kind of psychological boundaries, right? You get, if you leave Hartford and drive down Simsbury Road or go over Avon Mountain, you don't feel like going back to Hartford and you don't even really feel like you have very much to do with Hartford. You're not going to drive back in and go to the symphony, you know, or Hartford Stage or something. Once you get home and have that first glass of wine, you're in for the night. Um, and, and, and I I think that's a problem. I think it is really... Um, it, it's it's strangled Hartford. Luke Bronin, who's mm-hmm. departing mm-hmm. as mayor, would say that. And when he first was elected mayor, he tried doing this kind of goodwill tour. He went to all these leafy suburbs and said, you know, we have a lot in common. And our problems are your problems. And everyone said, get out of here. <laughs> we didn't, what year was that? Uh, that would have been eight years. Uh, eight years ago? Eight years eight ago, years. I think. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, so if Simsbury has a problem. It's really the problem of a lot of affluent suburbs, which is that they don't really give a crap. There's a, there are a lot of people who, because it's a beautiful place and they have incredible recreational facilities, places like Simsbury Farms and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. beautiful places to walk, like they make clean game refuges, yeah. probably mostly in Granby, but sort of in Simsbury, and but up on Firetown Road and stuff. And, and there's just a piece in Connecticut Magazine about that Simsbury conservation land, the West Mountain Trails mm-hmm. and stuff. It's a gorgeous place. And and it's a place that I think people move to, and they're very happy to be there. But there's a complacency that comes with that. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen that. Yeah, so that's probably a foible. How's that? Okay, that's very <laughs> informative, and from from a twelve month point of view in the area, quite accurate. Yeah. Well, make make lots of friends. There's nice people there. I know lots of nice people in Cincinnati. And go to Chris's restaurant. It really is great. I mean, he's a friend of mine and stuff, and so you can't really trust me. But, um, Which one? It's called Metro Beast. Uh, okay, okay, we'll do. Right I over there exactly by the— where it is. Yeah, it's right over there by the Flower Bridge. Um, yep. All right. Thanks for calling, man. Love your show. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Ooh, I did a Kai Riz doll. I called somebody man. All right, we're going to take a break. Oh, no, we still don't have a women caller. Lily, Lily Tyson is going to be so upset if we don't have women callers. And when she gets upset, she'll, she'll like wreck the control room, she said right now. She'll start throwing stuff around, smashing equipment. So 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. We're going to come back. We'll talk to Paul and Arthur and Jean, but also, ideally, Maria and Estelle and Eleanor. Special cause you told me I think you're special cause you told me 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Still the valley on the package and the camera on the skin Still the focus on the eye, not the biscuit, just the tin And I'm standing here screaming, where do we begin? Where do we begin? Where do we begin? It's all now, isn't it exciting? We can stick it to the man and come out fighting Unencumbered, fast as lightning I can act like I'm fine, I can put it in writing It's all now, isn't it exciting? Isn't it exciting? Isn't it exciting? Isn't it? Isn't it? That's the staves. I like the staves, but I don't have any real commitment to the staves. I, I, I need to decide about them. I need Either they're going to be part of my life, or I'm just going to use them on a show once in a while. All right. Uh, it's Ask or Tell Me Anything. we got a lot of calls here, including calls coming in from women. I, think I hope they are not coming to the—they may be coming to the defense of Simsbury, which is fine. I mean, be true to your school, by all means. Uh, I just hope they're not mad at me for anything that I said. Okay, so while we're getting, well, no, we've got a woman ready to go here. She's uh, on the launching pad, uh, and I promise, Paul, Arthur, Martin, Jean, we were, we will get to all of you. Let's talk to Linda in of all places, Simsbury. Hi, Linda. Hi, Jack Colin. How are you? Just fine. So I just wanted to say I'm a transplanted New Yorker. I only landed in Simsbury about four years ago, mm-hmm. and um, what. And it's, I was looking for a pretty town, and this is pretty, obviously. Yep. Um, but when I got here, when I was looking at towns, I did wonder if it was disturbingly white mm. <laughs> and, like, what was behind that. And um, so I, I – I, I, but I found that I would be comfortable here. And the other thing is that when you come from, like, New York City or – you know, Queens, Staten Island, you are so grateful for the lack of traffic that, like, to me, not going over a bridge, not going through a tunnel, and going to Hartford is, like, literally a walk in the park. And the other thing I'd have to say, in kudos to Connecticut, every time I go to, like, Elizabeth Park, uh, the Athenaeum, any of the plays, uh, I, for one, it's not $100 to drive to it and park. <laughs> It's right. the truth. Yep. <laughs> and and now I don't have children in schools, but 
Um, and, and I find everybody I meet, most of the people are really friendly, lovely, fairly educated, um, well off enough not to be too stressed about the ordinary things. They're stressed about the extraordinary things. But, um, you know, the the cost of heating their pools. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's the truth, right? So, but, uh, but one of the I'd like to point out, you said that. Linda said the pool thing, Sims people. <laughs> I didn't say so, a word about swimming pools. And I shouldn't even have used my first name. But, <laughs> but um, one of the foibles that most of the towns have is this whole um, affordable housing uh, thing. And when they defend keeping more, uh, you know, open space, green space, at the cost of inviting and accommodating people who are getting older and aren't going to be able to, you know, maybe drive down the mountain into town, uh, maybe not be able to have a car, maybe, maybe shouldn't even have to have a car. Um, it's like there's a generational thing of not being able to look forward and not being able to look back at what's coming for the town to remain just diverse in age mm-hmm. uh, and um, and kind of like, I guess like most people, just defending their point right now in their lives, what's important to them, um, as opposed to uh, embracing and understanding or empathizing with what is inevitable in everybody's aging process. Uh, it is a, a nicely a nice walkable town. I chose it because I like to walk and bike and drive, and and it, it it's entertaining. The food is great. It's not open late. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. <laughs> uh, but that, that's I, a that's I, a that's an area wide problem. But let me just say something, Linda. I don't know if you were lucky to move to Simsbury, but Simsbury was lucky to get you, and the Greater Hartford area was lucky to get you. The fact that you do sort of see it as an easy thing to get into the city and go to the Athenaeum oh or whatever. I mean, we're, we're lucky to get somebody like you, and lucky to get somebody with your breadth of vision about affordable housing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been part of these dialogues, and I've covered a lot of them going back to, I started out as a newspaper reporter with the Hartford Current in 1976, and the conversation right. was already happening. Um, and yes. and uh, in Glastonbury, uh, there was a developer who was developing something called Terra Hill, uh, which, and the whole idea was that people who were employees of the town of Glastonbury, people who, you know, were, I don't know, like director of, uh, of conservation or something in the town of Glastonbury, couldn't afford to live in Glastonbury. There wasn't any, there wasn't any such thing as affordable housing. Um, and I think when, when town leaders realize that their workers have to commute, uh, that should be yeah. an alarm bell. And, and I think also when there are, so I don't know, I don't want to name names, but um, although he's doing something very admirable, but uh, uh, New Canaan is having quite a battle about this right now. Uh, and one of the people who's kind of on the side of the angels uh, is a man whom I've known since he was a boy uh, who who he he told me I goes I he goes I have employees and they can't live here and I don't like that I don't think that's right so right. so people and, have to see that though in order for it to change well and you know like a, a town like Simsbury but, but it's really you know so relatively small I'll, I'll say Main Street where people go for services mm-hmm. I think that the people 
who are so steadfastly um, wanting to keep the character, you know, that, I hate that thing in quotes, keep the character and the look of the uh, town. And the truth of the matter is the people who are serving you um, have to be able to live in a place because it's too, too costly to commute. Mm. And it's um, uh, like... I used to say, you know, the rich need the poor to serve them. You know? <laughs> right. I think I think Walter White is at your door right now. I'm a little bit worried about that, Linda. Uh, but thank you so much for your call. Uh, I, we do have to move on here. I hope he was not the one who knocked, though. That would be bad. All right. We'll do one more of these Farmington Valley phone calls uh, from Marianne, and then we really have to, A, take a break, and B, move on to other topics. Uh, Marianne from Canton. Yes, you have the floor. Well, hello. I also I have some thoughts about affordable housing too, but that wasn't really uh, what initially. Well, I was moved to call. I was moved to call because I thought that you were uh, perhaps selling the Farmington Valley short a bit by not uh, uh, really talking about. I mean, there's a lot of history, a lot of history in the Farmington Valley. A lot of there's a lot of revolutionary history, and I will um, admit that my family helped found the town of Canton, so I'm a little biased. And uh, actually, they originally started in Sinsbury and made their way over the mountain into Canton. Uh, but there is more than just um, you know easy walking and shopping in downtown Sinsbury there is, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I'm pulled over on the side of the road. I happen to be in Simsbury by the tobacco barns, which I think are the ones that Martin Luther King worked in. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, yeah. they I don't know if those exact barns survive, but uh, he did uh, pick tobacco in Simsbury. Well, let me say this, though, and if we're going to talk about Canton, I, I think there's a sort of a different conversation, which is one of the sad things uh, is the way that Avon and Canton developed along Route 44. And Route 44 is yeah. an example uh, of the kind of sprawl development, which is designed essentially as if the goal were to make cars as opposed to people happy. Um, Route 44 yeah. is for cars uh, and more than it is for people. Yeah. And it's very sad. I mean, I think they, they obviously Collinsville has a lot of character. My father, right. who was a real estate agent for part of his life, always believed that Avon ma- made a mistake by not uh, developing, what is it? It's the uh, the intersection of West Avon Road and Country Club Road. It's kind of where Luke's Donuts is and everything like that. Oh, yeah, that, the library. He, and said, all he said, that should be your town center. Make that your town center yes. uh, and, and don't have this big strip out on Route 44. It, it's I too bad. I mean, the towns are still lovely, but, I mean, Route 44 is a nightmare. Anyway, I've got to take a break here. Thanks for calling, Marianne. When we come back, we've got Al, Arthur, Martin, Gene, Sean, so many people, so little time. All right, and our technical producer today is the wonderful cat pastor, as usual. Lily Tyson is the senior producer of The Colin McEnroe Show. She is screening calls today, while Mr. McPants, who often does this, is getting ready for the taping of the JFK 60th anniversary show, which I will be doing in about 25 minutes or something, or maybe less. 
Also, McCusker is here. McCusker, our Wonder Kid, uh, the Wonder Kid producer, our newest producer. Uh, she's usually in Cambridge or someplace, but she's here today. And we're, we're celebrating McCusker Day tomorrow. And we invite you to celebrate McCusker Day. Um, it's hard to know how to celebrate McCusker Day because she's very introverted. So maybe you just shouldn't do anything. You know, <laughs> you know what? You should, you should stay where you are but think very deeply about things that you conceivably could be doing that would involve going out. That seem that seems like good. She's she's putting a thumbs up to that, or she's she's raising one of the fingers on her hand towards me. Uh, all right, no, it's a thumb. Um, all right, here we go. Well, we get some people who want to talk about the show itself. We can do that. We can talk to Arthur in Hamden. Hi, Arthur. You have the floor. Hi. Uh, I'm. This is so thrilling. I, I normally um, listen to your show when I'm driving home from work <laughs> and can't call in and uh, happen to have the radio on today and thought. You know, I'm going to take a shot. Let's uh, let's see if we can't um, get a conversation going. I, 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 first, I want to uh, thank you for um, having such a great show. You can take the most simple subject and, and turn it into something very interesting with with lots of guests that that also contribute to those things. And but, uh, but the as far as the substance of my call, uh, thanks for. Uh, mentioning Jimmy Carter, um, the, probably I don't, there might get some kickback from this, but probably the last great statesman uh, of this United States. I I was able to uh, begin my education in um, culinary arts because of because of him. I um, ended up uh, owning a pretty good restaurant in Jackson, Wyoming. Hmm. I now teach culinary arts in uh, at Lincoln Tech in Shelton. I've had a I've had a great uh, I've had a great run uh, because of him, um, and I it's it, it's sad that uh, Rosalind has passed, but um, he's still there, yep. and, and he'll he'll be he'll be pounding nails till till the end, you right. know? and that's a, that's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. Well, thanks for your kind words. I, I do want to say, particularly since McCusker's here and Lily Tyson, you know, those shows that we take, I mean, first of all, you describe them very beautifully, the shows. We try to do that, take a small thing and then tell a big story. Um, and I, the only way I do that is with really great producers. So, yeah, Lily Tyson, Lily Tyson, Jonathan McPence, uh, and McCusker, the Wonder Kid, are, you know, are the core of that. And they make me sound very smart. Um, when in fact I'm, you know, not terribly bright and a little bit lazy. Um, all right, let's do, we'll do one more call that's relative to the show and then we'll see where we are. Uh, here is Martin in Mansfield. Hi, Martin. Hello, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I hope you're having a great day. This Wonderful. Is, uh, the, the things you do are awesome. <laughs> and I, I'm calling because I love, the thing you do on Friday afternoons mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the nose, yep. the shout outs. My suggestion is maybe once in a while, give us all a chance. Give our own shout outs. I think that's a really cool idea. So in other words, I, I Let, like let's hear yeah. let's hear what we're all thinking about. So right. I love I love what you're you, your guests are talking about let's mm. let's hear about each other yeah for people who aren't too clued into this 
We call them endorsements or recommendations. Uh, I stole the idea from Slate's Culture Gab Fest. But, um, so people, who, the guests on the show, recommend a book or a movie or a food or a recipe or a song or whatever. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting idea. I mean, we could try to do it in a format like this one. The, it's also a little bit of a high wire exactly. act. That's like, what I was thinking. Yeah, That's what I was thinking. Hoping people would just, I mean, if people don't call in, it kind of sucks. But um, what we could do, Lily Tyson would get right on this. Uh, but uh, what we could do is, Lily, we could pre-tape a bunch of them. So she's nodding her head. So we could pre, if we pre-taped, let's say, five, six, seven of them with people like you, Martin, then we would know. <laughs> no, oh, we wouldn't be twisted. like me? Yeah. Are you, are you serious? Well, oh, it's, you, it, it's your idea. You're going to have to do some work maybe, here. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, no, we pre-record. I would like to, if yeah. I can give a shout out or yeah. two. Yeah. The Ministry for the Future mm-hmm. by Kim Stanley Robinson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know about that? I know about that. Okay. Uh, it's a, okay. The House in the Solution, the, Cer- the Cerulean Sea. Another one that hmm. I'm reading now, it is an allegory about, um, hard to explain. Yeah. See, that's off. why we're going to pre-record you. So, like, if you have trouble yeah. explaining it, um, okay, you yeah. know, you'll have plenty of time yeah. to regroup. But, Martin, I love this idea. Yeah. I love this idea. And I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. I'm running out of time here, and there's a lot of other people who want to call. Uh, so, but, I, but we might do this. We may do this idea. Uh, I mean, I, I like the idea of letting uh, the listeners you know, in on this whole idea of recommending bits of culture and stuff like that. In fact, if we have time, Sean from Glastonbury, Sean from Glastonbury may add his voice. But let's go to Gene in Hartford next. Hi, Gene. You have the floor. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to follow up on a previous caller's uh, the discussion about the book by Ileana Douglas, Connecticut in the Movies, yep. which is very good. Um, my only... Uh, thing about it was she missed out on a film called the cardinal that was filmed in by otto preminger in stanford hmm. and it was a high big budget film and it uh was pretty successful in its day who who was in it uh well tom tryon right from uh weathersfield, yep. weathersfield guy uh, became more famous as a novelist later yeah i think carol lindley um um also the famous director who did uh out of Africa or in, well, no, well, I forget the famous director. I can't remember his name right now. Actor, director. Um, See, this anyway. is why when we do the recommendation show, we're going to pre-tape some people because then, you know, if you can't remember something, it's not a big problem. Um, well, uh, first of all, I mean, once again, I mean, uh, Ileana is pretty upfront about the fact there's no way she could cover everything. And and maybe there does need to be, you know, part two. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Ileana would want to commit to that. I mean, this is a pretty massive undertaking. Um, she certainly got a, a beautiful product out of it. But thanks for your call. So as long as we're doing things like that, and as long as I've got a little bit of time left, here's Sean in Glastonbury, who I believe will also be recommending a novel. Hi, Sean. Yes. Hi, how are you doing? Just fine. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, so I, you know, it just happens to be that this is how it's going. Um, I, I wanted to know if you have heard of a novel um, that's gaining some traction in the independent publishing um, circles. It's called America and the Cult of the Cactus Boots, a diagnostic. It's a maximalist novel by Philip Friedenberg. I, I don't really know much of anything about it. Um, it it's barely on my radar screen, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's something you might be interested in. Uh, you have to order it 
from the publisher, and I think it gets sent in brown paper from Latvia. Um, <laughs> but it's um, it's the story of a man writing a book while waiting for a book to come in the mail. But it's also the story of an alternate America where the word becomes um, criminalized and creativity is used to funnel and power society. It, I, I'm so not it's so it's justice. so it's nonfiction, basically. It's no, I'm kidding. I'm non- kidding. Well, part of it is nonfiction yeah. because it is written meta, and in the fourth wall, the art, the illustrator, and the author are the main characters as well as the publisher of the book. So it does kind of have some nonfiction elements to it. It is um, absolutely science fiction as well, with some amazing illustrations. Um, you know, the soul of Dick Cheney rising out of the vacuum that holds all of creativity that powers the universe. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of great stuff. I think you'd really enjoy it if you get your hands on it. It, it sounds like it's sort of in the David Foster Wallace, Thomas Pynchon thing, but yeah. also it, might, it sounds also a little bit like it might be sui generis. It's kind of uniquely its own thing with some of those features you're describing. Yes, absolutely. And the author is actually working. It's, he refers to it as the big green brick, and he's working on the big blue brick now. So he's, he's in the process of creating a sequel. <laughs> I haven't even caught up with the green one. Uh, yeah. I'll be in such a rush. Well, thank you so much for that recommendation. And once again, uh, hold on. I just had it up on my phone, and now I've lost it. Well, anyway, we'll put something up. There it is. America and the Cult of the Cactus Boots, colon, a diagnostic, and then subtitle, Restoring the... This is a very long title, Restoring the Power of Words. So America and the Cult of the Cactus Boots, a diagnostic, Restoring the Power of Words. That's, you know, I mean, there are books that are not too much longer than that title. Um, All right. um, Al, I'm really sorry. I think I don't have time to take another call. Uh, I think what I will do instead is say... First of all, goodbye to all of you. Uh, And second of all, uh, get ready for some interesting stuff this week. Wednesday, we will do our 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And then Astronauti Week, the following week. Like a love supreme, like a circle unbroken. Goodbye so long, farewell. Ten times before.